everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and we review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do our best to find trustworthy information. Before we dive into our animals, I have some follow-ups. Okay. Previously, on Just the Zoo of Us, (laughs) on the last episode that you and I did together, Christian, you talked about the acorn woodpecker. I did. David Roberts, the person who requested this animal, followed up after our episode to say, first of all, great episode. Love that. Nice. Thank you. David also said, sometimes acorn woodpeckers do put many acorns in one hole. Though the most famous example of that, it seems like they couldn't get the acorns back out afterward. (laughs) (laughs) And David included a link to a video, which I showed you earlier, of an antenna absolutely overloaded with acorns that had been deposited there by woodpeckers. (laughs) So yeah, I thought that was a cute little follow-up too. Uh, We had wondered why they only put one acorn in each hole. I guess it's to minimize chances of that happening. Yeah, I I would imagine so. (laughs) Uh, The other follow-up I had is that I talked about the West African lungfish. Mm -hmm. And part of that segment involved a mention of a signaling molecule involved in their regeneration generative process. Mm-hmm. And that protein is called sonic hedgehog. Right. So we had a good laugh about that. <laughs> I mentioned that I don't know why it's called that. So Elizabeth Taft left a comment on Instagram saying, it's called the sonic hedgehog gene because when it was discovered in flies, when the researchers mutated it, the fly ended up growing extra legs that looked like hedgehog spines. Huh. Yeah. So it made the flies look all spiky, (laughs) and they looked like a hedgehog, so they called it Sonic Hedgehog. That is still a leap, but not as much of a leap, I guess. It's a little bit of a stretch, (laughs) but there you go. We had wondered why they called it Sonic Hedgehog. Someone still had Sonic the Hedgehog on the brain. (laughs) Living rent-free in their head, baby. (laughs) I also, this is my last follow-up, and I just thought this was so sweet. I wanted to share it with you. Um, Our friend over on Twitter, Sophie Yan has named her cat Tanuki. Yay! After your Tanuki segment. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Any particular reason? Just because it's a sweet little gray kitty cat. Okay. Has kind of longish tabby cat fur. Looks like a little Tanuki. Awesome. Yeah, so I feel like that's really cool that somebody named their pet after <laughs> after a segment on our podcast. That's so flattering to me. It is a cute name, too. It is a, a fantastic name. So <laughs> thank you for letting us know about that, Zovian. That's all the follow-ups I had. Cool. Yeah, I think I'm ready to launch into this week's topics. I'm pretty sure I go first. This week, I bring to you the tarantula hawk. Okay. So this doesn't have like one scientific name because it's a whole genus. Mm -hmm. Uh, The genus is called Pepsis, which is spelled like Pepsis, which is really funny. Just so you know, I'm waiting with bated breath to learn if it's either of those things. Neither of those things. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) It is neither a tarantula nor a hawk. Although hawk has multiple definitions. It doesn't just mean a bird of prey. Okay. Um, so it is a hawk in the sense that it is a flighted predator, mm-hmm. but it is not a bird. It is, in fact, a wasp. Got it. The names are relevant. They have to do with the animal, but they're not uh, 
taxonomically accurate. Okay. <laughs> this animal was requested by Kevin Cabrera, a PhD student who is studying fruit fly immunology, which I think mm-hmm. is really cool. And Kevin also mentioned the sonic hedgehog gene. Thank you for explaining the sonic hedgehog <laughs> gene thing. It's a charming origin story. So I'm getting my information on tarantula hawks from the United States National Park Service, the Natural History Museum in London, and this one particularly good article on a website called undark.org by entomologist Justin Schmidt. And this article was titled, and this is going to give a little bit away, Instantaneous Electrifying Excruciating Pain. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a D&D spell description. <laughs> <laughs> like the, what is the hideous laughter vicious mockery yeah <laughs> so yeah uh this is a wasp that we're talking about mm-hmm. it is a pretty big wasp they're typically one to two inches long but the largest species of tarantula hawk pepsis heroes can reach up to four and a half inches long which is 11 centimeters for metric listeners pretty long it's huge it's like a finger yeah this thing's massive so big old wasp so within the united states they're mostly found in the southwest but there are a lot of species that have wide ranges in south america as well so you're only going to find them in the americas more around like the warmer regions of the americas Hmm. so they're associated with like the southwestern united states New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, stuff like that. Mostly Pepsis grossa. Um, Most of the information that I have is like about Pepsis grossa. That seems to be the most common one. There are 133 different species of tarantula hawks in the genus Pepsis, all of which go by the common name tarantula hawk. (laughs) So is that whole genus tarantula hawk wasps or is there other things in there? Okay. Yeah. They're pretty tough to tell apart. They're all very similar, which is why I'm not going to really bother getting down to the species level with this segment because they're kind of cut from the same cloth. Sure. So, I'm going to get into my ratings for the tarantula hawk. Okay. So, if this is your first time listening to this show, we rate our animals out of 10. And the first category that we rate them on is called effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations to the animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. So, for a predatory wasp, this is things like catching its prey, evading predators, things like that i'm giving the tarantula hawk of nine out of ten very good solid nine maybe a 9.5 but i give it a nine i don't like to do 0.5s <laughs> <laughs> integers only integers only and only positive integers so far I, we haven't toyed with the idea of negative ratings yet. <laughs> yet i shudder to think at what could possibly warrant a negative rating okay so if you're listening to this and you are a tarantula, just turn this episode off right now. Like, go no further. I'm sorry. This episode is going to be very distressing if you are a tarantula listener. Use one of your many legs to pause <laughs> the episode now. <laughs> Maybe skip ahead to Christian's segment because you're not going to like this. Tarantula hawks are so named for their somewhat unusual hunting targets. Tarantulas. Okay. They do hunt tarantulas. Although, what? (laughs) Said not hawks. Not hawks. That would be absolutely incredible. Can you imagine a a dog fight? (laughs) Can you imagine a wasp like going toe to toe with a hawk? Uh, That would be incredible. Anyway, no, they hunt tarantulas. Although, only the adult females 
hunt tarantulas. So I'll explain why in the ingenuity section. Okay. But they do like fight tarantulas and Mm -hmm. tarantulas are huge. They tend to be much larger than the wasp. Oh, yeah. But despite that, the wasp is still extremely successful at killing them. An absolutely astronomical KDR (laughs) when going up against tarantulas. (laughs) Dr. Gavin Broad, who is a wasp expert at London's Natural History Museum, said, quote, the wasps always win. I don't think anyone has ever seen a tarantula kill the wasp. The spiders will usually try to flee or avoid them at all costs. So Makes like, sense. A tarantula sees this wasp coming and is like, absolutely not. <laughs> I don't think I will. You have mentioned that the, a wasp is a flighted creature. Yes, right? they okay, can okay, fly. Okay. This one likes to stay close to the ground. Probably because it's hunting tarantulas. Mm. Tarantulas which burrow in the ground, right? They like dig into the ground and make their little burrows and holes. Right. So the entomologist that I mentioned earlier, Justin Schmidt, his article explains something really interesting, that the wasp's body has this smooth, round shape. You know how wasps kind of have this sort of like streamlined, almost jet plane-like body shape? Oh, sure, sure. So this smooth, round shape causes the tarantula's fangs to just slide off if they try to bite the wasp. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) I got this quote from the article. Justin says, several observers have reported that when tarantulas actually attempt to bite and crush a tarantula hawk, loud snapping sounds can be heard as the fangs under immense force abruptly and repeatedly slip off the wasp's body. The fangs are sliding off with so much force that they're making an audible snapping sound. Wow. Yeah, that the tarantula is trying so hard to bite this wasp and it just can't do it. So the tarantula is basically just getting like as hard countered as you possibly can like, yeah. there's just nothing they can do about it because like even if they do try to fight back they can't you know like the fangs are all they've got right. so there's just like no weapon there's no tool in their belt they can use against this wasp it's got to be horrifying nothing yeah but they're so good at killing the tarantulas which are so much bigger than them because of their incredibly powerful sting hmm. they have an immensely potent sting. So to explain just how intense their sting is, I'd like to take a look at what's called the Schmidt Pain Index, which was actually developed by that entomologist, Justin Schmidt, who wrote this article that Mm -hmm. I'm referencing. So this is a ranking of how painful the bites and stings of various bugs are. I think you may have talked about this before. I've seen shows where I think either this guy or something similar where Mm -hmm. they did this with bullet ants. Yes, yes. Bullet ants are on this pain index. So it rates the intensity of the pain on a scale of one to four. The index was named after American entomologist Justin Schmidt. And he developed these rankings by testing each bite and sting on himself Mm -hmm. and recording how much it hurt. So that being said, you know, it's totally subjective, right? Like, it's just his record of how much it hurt him personally. So it's kind of like your results may vary, but it's a good reference point. How badly do you not want to get (laughs) bit or stung by this creature? I mean, what are the chances you would otherwise have been in the situation where you've been bitten or stung by all these different creatures? Right. It's like he really, (laughs) like, took that one for the team. For all of us. (laughs) So the Schmidt pain index puts the tarantula hawk at the second most painful sting in the world. 
second to the South American bullet ant. Ah, yeah. Okay. So you, you really called that one. <laughs> you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> but the difference is, so they both have similar pain intensity, mm-hmm. but the bullet ants sting causes pain for up to 24 hours. But the tarantula hawks sting wears off within about five minutes. Now, is the bullet ant, is it a bite or a sting? I think it's a sting. Okay. Yeah. From a stinger that's like on the back of their body. Okay. But the tarantula hawk sting is over with in about five minutes. Um, you're not going to be in like a full day of pain like you will for a bullet ant. Mm. So Schmidt, <laughs> Justin Schmidt's only suggested remedy for the pain is to, and this is a direct quote, lay down and scream. <laughs> that's what he suggests. The treatment for this sting. He says, the pain is so debilitating and excruciating that the victim is at risk of further injury by tripping in a hole or over an object in the path and then falling into a cactus or into a barbed wire fence, because this is where they live. Right. Such is the sting pain that almost nobody can maintain normal coordination or cognitive control to prevent accidental injury. Screaming is satisfying and helps reduce attention to the pain of the sting. So literally just scream. That's all you can do if you get stung by one of these wasps. So that being said, although their sting is extremely painful, they're not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't sting humans unless they're provoked, which typically means like you have to really go for them for them to sting you. You have to be like picking them up and doing something to them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when they do these type of things, it's they, they have the thing by tweezers and push it up against their arm or you have to like really be like bothering this wasp to get it to sting you so their attitude is often described as calm or docile which is i think probably an attitude cultivated by their completely warranted confidence (laughs) right like they know nothing's gonna really bother them right like she's like "Mm, i know you're not gonna try to eat me because you know i could sting you into oblivion (laughs) so their venom is great for paralyzing spiders but to humans, it's only very mildly toxic. And barring an allergic reaction, it's probably not going to do that much to you. Like, if you have an allergic reaction, you're going to need to go to the hospital and stuff. But other than just, like, a few minutes of the worst pain you've ever felt in your life, uh, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be over in a few minutes and it'll be totally fine. It's not the sort of venom that, like, you need to worry about dying. It's just you might wish that you had. And of course, with the the danger of the allergic reaction is anaphylaxis usually, right? Right. So I don't know how common an allergy is to like tarantula hawk venom, but it's it's probably not going to do that much to you. It's just going to hurt really, really bad. You know, the screaming thing would be a good indication of a lack of (laughs) anaphylaxis. That's true. If you can still (laughs) scream, you're doing great. (laughs) Another thing is that they also smell bad. They uh, release a distinct chemical odor, especially when they feel threatened, and it smells kind of gross. Okay. Yeah. Um, apparently, people who study them can, like, identify their smell. Like, mm. if they smell it, they're like, I know what that is. Like, it's a very distinct odor that they produce. I've heard that with other insects and yeah. stuff Yeah. Like, like, you get to a point where you're like... <laughs> I've heard health inspectors can smell cockroaches. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like... The human sense of smell, I think, is, like, underrated. We don't give people enough props for their ability to 
smell things accurately. So the tarantula hawk's smell is not thoroughly understood, but it may be an early warning system to deter predators before they get within that sort of like melee range. Mm -hmm. Like it's supposed to kind of like keep you at a distance. Like they're just warning you like, hey, I'm over here. You don't want to get too close. Here's a bad smell. But it could also be a means of communicating with other tarantula hawks, right? Because a lot of wasps do communicate with chemical signals and with smell. Mm -hmm. Um, So it could just be them communicating with each other, but it's you know, probably one of those things that's like a bunch of other functions all grouped together. But yeah, I found that interesting that they have a little chemical defense system. I did take one point off because they do have a nemesis. And this is a common nemesis in like the southwestern United States. It's the Roadrunner. Oh. The Roadrunner has an answer for everything. Like, <laughs> I feel like every time I've talked about some sort of cool little desert critter, it's always like, oh, yeah, they're perfectly adapted to deter predators, except the Roadrunner. Like, the Roadrunner <laughs> has an answer for everything. So the, the Roadrunner is one of the very few animals that is both fast and brave enough to kill a tarantula hawk. Hmm. So they kind of get in, like, real fast. Like, they just go for it, and they have kind of like a, a short powerful beak Mm -hmm. so i guess it's just like the confidence man you just gotta really like go for it they're fast and they're brave and they just go in and jab them and kill the tarantula hawk before they can uh, sting them what a strange food pyramid the roadrunner is like because we talked about this with the horned lizard right that was one of those things too it was like oh yeah also roadrunners are just immune to (laughs) everything in the (laughs) desert roadrunners have it figured out i can't wait till we do a roadrunner episode that's gonna be fun but yeah roadrunners are uh countering tarantula hawks so next category we rate animals on is ingenuity this is behavioral adaptations that let the animal do a good job this was surprising i think for me for a wasp 10 out of 10 for ingenuity really this is a spectacularly brilliant bug Hmm. it does some of the most unhinged stuff I've ever heard of. Okay, so I mentioned earlier that only the females hunt the tarantulas. Yes. This is because the adult wasp, male or female, Mm -hmm. does not eat the tarantula. Okay. They eat like nectar and fruit and stuff like that. So the females have a very specific reason for hunting tarantulas. Here's what they do. So they find their tarantula. They use their powerful venomous sting not to kill the tarantula, but to paralyze the tarantula so that it can't move. And then they drag the tarantula back to their nest, which is like a hole dug into the ground. Mm -hmm. She brings the tarantula down into her little nest. She lays an egg inside the tarantula's body. One egg. Lays it inside the spider's body. And then she crawls back out of her nest she seals up the entrance trapping the spider inside and she pieces out (laughs) (laughs) and she just leaves (laughs) okay so the egg hatches and the larva eats the tarantula's body from the inside out before emerging as an adult man and the tarantula is alive but it's paralyzed now this is the real halloween episode (laughs) it's so brutal it is absolutely incredible so i did want to like give her 
some props for some other clever things that she does when she's hunting tarantulas. Mm -hmm. Sometimes rather than dragging the tarantula back to her nest, which you can look up online, there are like pictures of tarantula hawks dragging tarantulas to their nests. It's incredible to see. It's just this little like, you know, two inch long wasp that's dragging this enormous tarantula like across the desert. Mm -hmm. It is inspirational. But sometimes rather than going to all that trouble, she will just entomb the tarantula in its own burrow. Like, she'll just go into the tarantula's burrow it's already got and then just seal that bad boy up. Work smarter, not harder. Yeah. So, you know, like, once once she's done all this, Wasp and Mom doesn't, like, stick around to take care of the babies. But there's no reason to. They're safe and they're nourished, you know? Like, they're just incubating inside of this tarantula's body in this sealed-off nest underground, you know? Like, it's like a little spider dungeon. Awful. I know, isn't it? It's beautifully diabolical. So they only do this with tarantulas? Yes. Okay. But they're not picky about the tarantula species. They don't have like a specific type of tarantula they're after. But yeah, they only do it with tarantulas. Hmm. And the tarantula hawk is surprisingly clever when it comes to how they hunt tarantulas. Hmm. So after a female tarantula hawk has mated and she's ready to lay her eggs she'll start to look around for an unsuspecting spider either looking for a male tarantula who's just roaming around because he's looking for a mate or she'll run around on the ground smelling around for a burrow that has a female tarantula in it so she'll actually kind of run around and like <laughs> like she's like trying to find a, a burrow where she can find a tarantula so once she finds one she either waits for the tarantula to come out on its own Or she pokes the silk around the edge of the burrow. Because Mm -hmm. tarantulas, when they have their burrow, they kind of lay a bunch of silk around the entry so that they know when someone's, like, near their burrow. Mm -hmm. And she pokes it just to, like, kind of tickle it almost to, Mm -hmm. like, let the tarantula know that somebody's at its burrow. So then the tarantula comes out and reveals itself. And then she's like, ha surprise. It was me all along. <laughs> you thought it was prey, but it was me. <laughs> tarantula hawk. And then once she's actually like going in for the kill, she does something really cool. She'll poke at the tarantula with her antenna and it provokes the tarantula to rear back in its defensive posture. Have you ever seen a tarantula do this? Yeah. Like, they get kind of threatened, and they splay their front legs up in the air. They do this in Animal Crossing. They do this in Animal Crossing, yes. (laughs) So they rear back in this defensive posture, and this is basically like when you're fighting a boss in a video game, and they're winding up an attack, but when they do, they expose their giant glowing weak point. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Like, it's basically what happens. So the tarantula rears back, tarantula hawk jabs her stinger into the bottom of the spider, and what she's aiming for is this bundle of nerves Mm -hmm. on the underside of the spider and it's the nerves that control the legs and the fangs of the tarantula so once she's injected it with her venom the whole spider just is paralyzed Mm -hmm. and it can't move its legs or its fangs and it has now become useless So, yeah, I mean, like, if you're a tarantula, this is, like, the ultimate nightmare fuel. Because, like, there's just nothing you can do to stop this thing from, like, making your life into a Game of Thrones subplot for the next (laughs) few months. (laughs) It's not going to be fun at all. Yeah. So, I I mean, she's she is gaslighting. She is gatekeeping. (laughs) She is girl bossing. (laughs) So, the male tarantula hawks have their own interesting little behavior that they can do. It's called hilltopping. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. 
So it's where they will find a good lookout point from something like the top of a tall plant. I imagine cacti are probably good candidates for this. And then once they have a good like vantage point, they aggressively defend it from other males. This is so that they have this kind of perch so that they can see other female tarantula hawks when they emerge from the ground. Mm. So once she comes out, like as an adult, they want kind of like first dibs on like the female that's just come out of her burrow and they'll go try to be like the first one to mate with her. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, like it's not just the females that are like doing interesting things. Like the males are kind of having their own power struggle. And then the last thing for ingenuity, this is something that I found just... I will say, I have seen this claim repeated on many websites. I cannot find the source for this, so please take this with a grain of salt. But I did see it reported that since the adult wasps feed on nectar, they do sometimes, accidentally, perhaps, maybe a little bit not so accidentally, feed on fermented fruit, which causes them to become intoxicated. (laughs) To the point that they struggle to fly. Oh, no. And they can't get off the ground because they're (laughs) drunk. (laughs) We've all been there, you know? (laughs) We've all struggled to fly at some point or another in our life, thanks to some uh, fermented fruit. I found that charming. I don't know if it's true or not, so please don't take that too seriously. I just thought it was funny. The final category for the tarantula hawk is aesthetics. I give it an 8 out of 10. Really? I haven't really talked a whole lot about what they look like. Their body is this really, really dark blue verging on black. And it's this metallic, mm-hmm. like iridescent almost dark blue. In the right light, it's iridescent, which I think is really cool. Otherwise, it looks kind of like more just black. But then they have bright orange wings. Hmm. So just their wings are like flame orange. Was there a Fallout New Vegas? Yes, there was. I'll talk about (laughs) it at the end. It's in my notes at the end. So they have bright orange wings. That's for high visibility and aposematism, which is the fancy word for when an animal has bright colors to advertise that it is extra spicy. Oh. You know, highly venomous. Don't bother with things that have bright colors because they're poisonous or venomous, toxic in some way. Hmm. The tarantula hawk, in fact, has such a fearsome reputation that many other types of insects have evolved black or dark blue bodies with bright orange wings to look like them. Right. So this is an example of what's called Batesian mimicry, where um, an animal evolves to look like something that is more threatening to kind of protect itself. Mm -hmm. So an interesting example is an insect called the robber fly. The scientific name is Wylia midas. And it uh, looks like a tarantula hawk at first glance. It's got that dark body of bright orange wings. This robber fly doesn't have any sort of stinger. It cannot sting you. It does not have the right parts of its body. But it does use its reproductive organs and produce a motion that resembles stinging to mimic having a stinger so that it looks like they can sting you. I had read that the stingers in wasps and bees are related to their... Yes. Yes. So they're related to the reproductive anatomy of the insect, but in the robber fly... Not a stinger. It didn't make it to the stinger point, (laughs) but it kind of pretends that it did. Okay. 
to make it look like it can sting you. That being said, you know, looks can be deceiving. You might look at something and think it's, oh no, it's a tarantula hawk and it might just be, you know, a harmless robber fly. I find mimicry really interesting. Yeah. And as always with mimicry, I think the best advice is, unless you're very certain of the difference, treat it as the more dangerous. (laughs) Yeah. In the sense that you should just leave it alone. Like that doesn't mean, oh, you see something that looks like a wasp. Oh, go, you know, try to kill it. Just leave it alone. Yeah. If you're trying to decide between avoid or pick up and pet. (laughs) <laughs> i would say almost never is pick up and pet an appropriate option um so yeah tarantula hawk often imitated never duplicated just to wrap up some final little facts for the tarantula hawk they are the state insect of new mexico cool yeah which was decided by uh, elementary school students which Aww. i thought was nice and then finally this is what you've been waiting for in fallout new vegas mm-hmm giant mutated tarantula hawks called cazadors that's what it was terrorize the mojave wasteland they are infamously fearsome especially since in the game they are very fast and they move erratically and they tend to swarm if you're never gonna fight just one there's a whole bunch of them that show up at the same time it's super annoying it's <laughs> so hard to hit That is also unlike real tarantula hawks. Real tarantula hawks tend to be solitary. Mm -hmm. They don't swarm like that. But in the game, they needed to make it tough, I guess. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that real life like tarantula hawk inspiration was confirmed by the game designer J.E. Sawyer. Yeah, it makes sense. Because as as you were describing it, particularly when you got to the coloration, that's what made me think of it. Right. Yeah. The like black and orange, Mm -hmm. terrifying (laughs) flying insect, you know. And, you know, terrifying in the sense that, yeah, it'll hurt. But can you imagine if you were a tarantula? Ugh. To us, it's nothing. Just be glad you're not a tarantula when you see one of these things flying around. I hope there's a mod for New Vegas where <laughs> if you get stung by one of the Cazadors, it, it makes your person just scream for five minutes straight. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't select any other dialogue options other than just screaming. <laughs> so that's the real life Cazador. That's the tarantula hawk wasp. Thanks, honey. You're welcome. Let's uh, take a quick break to hear some promos from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network, and then we'll get to your animal. Okay. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called After Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. And uh, it's a nice break from reality. (laughs) Is that, are we allowed to say that? I don't know, it sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. (laughs) Come for the games and stay for the chaos. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. (laughs) Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? 
Absolutely so. you cannot. Because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave. All right, Christian. I am really excited to hear what you're bringing this week. I already know what you're bringing this week, but I'm yeah. excited to hear about it. Yep. So this week I'm bringing the vulture bee. Yes. And this refers to three different species. Trigona hypogea, Trigona necrophagia, and Trigona crassipes. Ooh, I heard necrophagia. Yes. I think that means that. Yes. <laughs> a, I think that has to do with the vulture part of the name. It sure does. It's very important. <laughs> this species was submitted by Bo Kant via email. Thank you, Bo. Thank you so much. I'm getting my information from two articles. The first one titled, Why Did the Bee Eat the Chicken? Symbiont Gain, Loss, and Retention in the Bee Microbiome. Authors Laura L. Figueroa, Jessica J. Macaro, Aaron Krzyzewski, Douglas Yanega, and Quinn S. McFrederick. And this will be published in the M. Bio Journal later this month, but it was published online on November 23rd. Ooh, early year. access. Yes. <laughs> um, and the second article is titled Obligate Necrophagy in a Social Bee by David W. Rubick in the Science Journal from 1982. Ooh, this is a throwback. Yeah. An antique. So that first article I mentioned is important because it's the reason you may have seen vulture bees in lots of social media lately. It's a hot topic. Yes. They're trending. So like I mentioned, that article was published online very recently in the past couple of weeks. I think on the same day, there was a popular Reddit post in the science subreddit, I believe, um, that took off. And then got picked up by several news sources and that kind of thing. Yeah, because I had definitely seen this headline around quite yeah. a bit. It's not that it was a recently discovered species or anything. It's just it's it's just in the spotlight now, right? With this article, deservedly so. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's their time to shine. They've been long overdue. Yeah. So, kind of getting into it. Their adult size, I wasn't actually able to find this information. You and I, when we think of a bee, we think of honeybees, right? True. Or bumblebees. Yeah. So those are actually larger bees. Oh. Whereas these are appear to be smaller based on the pictures I've seen of them. If I had to kind of guess, I, I think they're around five millimeters long or okay. 0.2 inches. A little, like a fly size maybe. Whereas like honeybees are 10 millimeters. Sure. Um, and where you'll find them is in South America. However, the first article I'll be referencing heavily, the study that that's about was done in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, I guess I should explain what they look like. That'd be nice. Yeah. So are they a yellow I hate to start with this, bee? but imagine a bee. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to uh, trust you, the listener, to yeah. know what a bee looks like. But going from there, it's not as colorful. It doesn't have like the yellow fuzz or anything. It's it's like a darker black color. And a big difference between the bees you and I are familiar with is they are stingless bees. They do not oh, have stingers. Okay. We ran into stingless bees once in Mexico. Oh, yeah, we did. They had burrowed into a tree yes. in a very interesting way. Yes. Um, so there's lots of stingless bees. Um, these just happen to also be stingless bees. That's cool. Yeah. Don't bother them still. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't feel like, oh, it's not going to sting me. I'm just going to pick up a handful of them. <laughs> they have another end. So, <laughs> <laughs> And in terms of ta taxonomy, these belong to the apidae family. A word similar to that you might have heard of is apiary. Oh, a place where bees are. Yes. <laughs> place where you put bees. So in that family are bumblebees, honeybees, and other stingless bees. Okay. Getting right into it, 
the first category, effectiveness, I'm giving an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so my first point, meat and pollen out. <laughs> <laughs> pollen is over. <laughs> we do meat now. <laughs> so most bees can be considered vegetarian wasps, right? Because the evolution of eating pollen and nectar likely came from an ancestor whose prey ate those things. <laughs> so they cut out the middleman. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. It's kind of like, oh, why would I bother eating this cow? I'll this just eat the is, grass instead. This cow is covered in delicious, I don't know, spinach. I'm, I'm just going to eat spinach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these guys are really reverting back to eating meat when you think about it. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> we had it right the first time run it go back, back, go back. <laughs> throw evolution in reverse uh, so there are other bees that will eat meat opportunistically in addition to pollen and nectar which is also called facultatively necrophagous but these are the only bees displaying obligate necrophagy i like this word obligate and facultative is the opposite of that. Oh, so like facultative means like they can when they right. need to? Under certain circumstances, yeah. Sure. But obligate meaning... They have to. Gotta do it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely must. Yeah. And obligate necrophagy meaning they, they have to eat carrion oh, or okay. dead animals. Okay. Yeah. Does it matter that they're dead and not like live prey? This This is a difference that I've had a hard time understanding because most things are not eating still living That's animals, true. right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm wondering if the difference is semantics. I'm not sure. Well, uh, also, if you're eating live prey, the prey is then able to prevent you from eating it. Right. <laughs> but something like a tiger will kill something and then eat it, right? Whereas these, what they're eating, they did not kill. Oh, I yeah. see what you mean. They're yeah. scavenging. Right. I get it. Yes. Like a vulture. Like that a is vulture. what vultures do. They yes. do not take the prey down, but when it is presented. Yes. <laughs> I get it. I get yes. it. So I want to take a moment to kind of talk about honeybees for a second, just to give a comparison with something. So honeybees collect both pollen and nectar. Pollen is that yellow, sometimes green dust given off by flowers that are meant to be used as part of reproduction in flowers. And then nectar is like a sugary substance that's usually given off by flowers. And that's actually meant to draw in animals to spread the pollen. Sure. Um, the candy juice. Right. So with honeybees, pollen is for protein and nectar is for energy because they collect both. Mm -hmm. Right. But these bees, they get their protein from meat instead. Uh, so instead of pollen, they're getting meat from okay. dead animals. All right. So just replacing pollen with meat. Yes. Okay. Do they still need nectar? They do still get nectar. Okay. But the nectar they do collect doesn't come from flowers. Um, instead, it comes from something called extrafloral nectaries, which are parts of plants that secrete nectar outside of the flower and aren't related to pollination. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know this existed. It does. So it's like at the stem and sometimes the leaves of okay. certain plants. The, the vulture bee comes to the plant. They're like, hey, you want the good stuff? Right. Go down to our, what'd you call it? Extra? Extra floral nectaries. They're like, hey, you want the good stuff? Head downstairs <laughs> to the extra floral nectaries. <laughs> well, no, there's a point. I'm not sure if these plants also have flowers. Sure. I'm not sure. You got to know the password. <laughs> you got to know somebody. So, of course, you can't talk about bees without talking about honey. So, to review, honey is made from nectar, the sugars, not pollen. So vulture bees still make sweet honey from nectar. It is not meat honey. <laughs> Just to get that out of the way. You, you read my mind? 
<laughs> it's something I came across, and that, that seems to be a conclusion some place, some websites have come to, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not really what's going on. So, because okay. they've replaced pollen with meat, Got it. pollen is not used to make honey. Okay, it's all coming together, <laughs> right? I get it. It's a different system, <laughs> right? Right, right. So, it's not meat honey since the protein component doesn't really go into the manufacturing of honey. Now, a part of this is their gut bacteria, they have acetophilic, which means preferring an acidic environment, microbes that are found in other carrion-feeding animals, like vultures. So they kind of, in this evolution, they kept some of the microbes of their ancestors while losing others. So that first article is really studying the microbes of these bees and closely related bees. And they're kind of looking at what do obligate necrophagous bees have? What do the facultatively necrophagous bees have versus um, purely, oh, what was the the term? Polynivorous, I think. Oh, polynivorous. (laughs) Bees. So that's what that whole study was about, was studying the differences in those um, microbes. Okay. So like which ones they're similar to and which ones they're different from. Right. Okay. So the first article suggests the bees' diet replaced microbes with new ones. The microbes evolved with the bees' change in source of protein or some mix of the two. I think that's often... In biology, the answer is often a mix of factors, right? It's usually like, yeah, it's a bunch of reasons. <laughs> the The way it worded it was it's it could be these two things and they aren't mutually exclusive. Sure. Some overlap. Right. Uh, they also have toothed mandibles that helps them in tearing off meat. Bee teeth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and in other bees, they have what you would call a pollen basket. Which is a that part of their, I guess, back legs <laughs> that mm-hmm. have hairs to kind of pack on pollen. So that in these bees is reduced in, like, I guess, thickness and size. They should call them fanny packs. <laughs> right. So in, like, honeybees and bumblebees, you'll see it, like, packed with that yellow pollen, right? It's adorable. <laughs> Caked up. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, I just want to mention flight. <laughs> That's a huge thing in effectiveness, I think. Um, and then, finally, no stinger. So they, they kind of lost out on that. True, yeah. But yeah. in other bees, that's kind of a, a double-bladed sword, right? Yeah, because once they sting, that's it, right? That's a like game over. It's a yeah. very much like an end game sort of last resort. For some bees, at least. Yeah. So moving on to ingenuity, give me a six out of ten. Okay. So first I want to talk about teamwork and communication. They lead other bees to food with pheromones. And the number of bees responding correlates with the size of the dead animal. So if it's like Uh a lizard, it'll be like three or four of these bees show up. But Mm -hmm. if it's something larger, it'll be more... That's smart. Right. No reason to bring the whole hive for like a mouse. That's true. Yeah, (laughs) because then that's going to be a waste of energy for everybody that came out when there wasn't enough for everybody. So uh, my next thing for ingenuity, they will fight other things trying to eat their meal. Get on. <laughs> it's interesting that the the second article talks about a kind of ant that avoids the bees by usually feeding at night. So like something will die, some sort of truce gets <laughs> struck between the bees and the ants. Like the bees get it during the day, ants get it at night. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a treaty. Right. <laughs> I like that the the ant is maybe like, oh boy, there's a fresh kill. And it goes to check it out and it sees the bees over there just cracking their knuckles like, uh-huh. <laughs> you don't want none of this. And then my final ingenuity thing is uh, what they're doing with the meat, because I think that's important. So there are two theories in terms of how they're utilizing the meat and bringing it back to the nest. So one theory is it's brought back to the nest and mixed with honey. And mixed with honey. Yeah. So they, they chew it up in their mouth and then bring it back. 
so in bees that collect pollen, they would do this with pollen and honey and make what some people call bee bread. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Why is everything about bees so cute? They have <laughs> baskets and bread. <laughs> um, the other theory is the bees use the flesh to excrete hypopharyngeal gland secretions like honeybees. Hypopharyngeal? Yes. And that is stored in nest pots. Hypopharyngeal. What is pharyngeal? So it's coming from like salivary glands in their mouth, I think. Okay. Yeah. Slobber. Basically. Meat slobber. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of different things that bees that make honey do. There, it's not just honey, right? There's this bee bread. There's the royal jelly. There's. <laughs> oh, yeah. Royal jelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, too. <laughs> I had like an initial ew reaction to the meat honey slurry you were describing. Yeah. But meat and honey is not a bad combo. It's not. Like we have like honey glazed meat all the time. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. They're trailblazers, really. <laughs> they figured it out. Now the, they will eat rotting meat, but they actually prefer fresher meat. Who doesn't? The way they did this study was interesting. They they took raw chicken and kind of hung it up on strings in like the you know the tropical forest in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. and they put like um, I think it said like petroleum jelly on the string so that <laughs> only flying insects could get to it. Oh, I see. Because they were also testing you know other kinds of bees and stuff like that. Sure. <laughs> Apparently, they did actually have a problem with bullet ants at one point. Uh oh. <laughs> That's not something you want to have a problem with. I would also imagine probably a bot fly or two snuck in there. Um, <laughs> um, but as far as aesthetics go, just a six out of ten. Um, not much to look at, and they're a little unnerving when they're feeding. When you look at, them. I would imagine so. <laughs> just conceptually, it was described that like many insects that do this, they first enter through the eyes of whatever. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, okay, at least the thing is dead. Yeah, that's fine. But still, it's a little unnerving. It is. So that's the vulture bee. What a cool bee. Right? (laughs) (laughs) So interesting. And like just a little touch of brutality. (laughs) Yeah. But not too much. Like they're still charming. Mm -hmm. I I find that I'm charmed by them. (laughs) This was a harsh episode. A little bit. Did you have any other details in terms of taxonomy between wasps and bees? Because I know I didn't go very deep into that. That's okay. Um, Really just that technically bees are wasps. Mm-hmm. It's one of those like all bees are wasps, but not all wasps are bees sort okay. of thing. As are ants. So bees and ants both kind of mm. split off from the wasp family. I didn't go too much deeper in it other than that. Okay. Um, so I think the fact that, that their digestive system is indicative of their lineage, I think is really interesting yeah it is all that is to say you know wasps get a lot of hate people don't like wasps i think in general most people don't like wasps but without wasps we wouldn't have bees and without bees we wouldn't have honey so if you like honey you can thank wasps for that a little personally (laughs) next time you see a wasp just give it a real quick smooch (laughs) i'm gonna get down low and whisper to it say hey Thanks for the honey. Hey, stop stinging me, but also thanks for that honey. <laughs> well, I would hope it wouldn't be actively stinging you at the point that you're having a dialogue with this wasp. I'm going to go now. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> Make peace with the wasps in your life, please. Be nice to wasps. They're nice to have around in the sense that they're, you know, predatory flying insects that will take out pests, you know. If you can coexist with them peacefully, they can actually make a pretty good little neighbor to have around. 
Especially if you don't like tarantulas. So that's the thing. I don't know. I might prefer the tarantula. It's kind of like, well, so here's the thing. Like a tarantula hawk has a one-to-one like they're built in with one tarantula killed like right off the gate right they come into the world having already killed one tarantula as like a requirement to being born that really puts a dependency on uh the success of the tarantula population right yeah like they they (laughs) rely on the very things that they're parasitizing if it is important enough to you (laughs) to control your tarantula population be nice to your wasp (laughs) I wish this was a problem we could have. <laughs> what, tarantulas? <laughs> Why do you wish that? They seem neat. They are neat. Oh, if you feel sympathetic towards the tarantulas and you want to learn more about tarantulas, go back a little bit. We, uh, I did an episode on tarantulas with our friend T. Francis, who is just a spider enthusiast with a particular interest in tarantulas. She's a tarantula keeper. She has hundreds of tarantulas. Oh. It was a really cool episode. So yeah. Go straight from this one into the tarantula episode. It's yes. a good listen. Well, that is all we have for today. Thank you so much to everybody who has listened and joined us for this wild ride. Um, I should say that every year around this time for the holidays, we go on a brief little hiatus. This year will be slightly different in the sense that Christian and I will be going on a brief hiatus Um, for our episodes together, but I will continue to release guest episodes. So for the next, I don't know what, four episodes or so, they're all going to be guest episodes rather than alternating between guest and regular episodes. So you won't hear from Christian for a little while, but he'll be back in January. Yeah. And last year it coincided with Finley being born. It did. Yeah. Last year, Christian took quite a while off after Finley was born. But, you know, this year it's just, it's the holidays and we need some time to get all of our act together (laughs) (laughs) so you won't hear from christian for a little while but he'll be back soon don't worry we would like to thank maximum fun for having us on their network alongside their other spectacular lineup of shows so if you want to go check those out and if you'd like to support us and the other shows on the network you can do so at maximumfun.org slash join that would really mean a lot to us sure would really like that thank you louis ong for our theme music which is a complete bop absolute (laughs) jam we love it so much uh you're about to hear it fading in right now we'll talk to y'all later bye thanks everyone bye MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.